Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. We have these thoughts about God that we have internalized and they are completely wrong. I would submit to you, yes, he's waiting on you, but he's not waiting with the hammer in his hand. He's waiting with grace and mercy that he wants to extend to you and to your family even more. He's waiting with arms of love stretched out to welcome you back home. I want to let you know today that we're pursued by the king, not an earthly king that's going to come and give us land or some kind of property or wealth or material possessions, but we're pursued by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We are pursued this morning by Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. He's after you. still standing go with me if you would to the book of second samuel chapter four. Second samuel chapter four and i just want to read one verse of scripture in verse four amen the bible says this second samuel four verse four jonathan the son of saul had a son who was crippled in his feet He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. And I just want to talk to us uh, just for the next little bit on this uh, title, Unexpected. Unexpected. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Now, this message this morning is, is, uh, is a story about a biblical character in the Old Testament named Mephibosheth. And some of you are like, Mephibosheth, what? Um, this is like, what is he? Is he making stuff up there? What's he doing up there? This is a true story. Uh, this is a, this is a great story. There is a beautiful truth story. Now, uh, I know that there are many times that, that there are some that come to church and, uh, you think to yourself, maybe even get a little insecure about like, man, I don't feel like I really know a whole lot about the Bible. I don't know about, uh, all the stories of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, how many different stories there are. Um, and you think to yourself, maybe, you know, maybe I don't know as much as the person sitting next to me, but I want you to understand this, that today you're pretty much almost all of us on the same field, because this isn't a story that, that you do hear a lot. You do hear bits and pieces of, uh, of Mephibosheth, but I want to kind of do a deeper dive into the story, uh, because this story is an unexpected one. It's an unexpected one that has a beautiful truth to it. Amen. Uh, How many of you here this morning um, would say that in life, there are many times that unexpected events happen to you? Would you have pretty much every single one of us? That's right. Yes. Uh, Because that's life. Uh, now I've got a theory for those of us who have children, um, for every child that you have, the likelihood of something unexpected happening to you 
increases by at least 80% for each child. All right. I've got two, which means about every other hour. If my math is correct, there is something bizarre that is happening under our little roof. You know, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That's why you moms carry around those giant bags, okay, that are supposed to be diaper bags, but you know that you could supply a small army with what is loaded inside those because you are there for the unexpected, right? You are preparing for a natural disaster to happen. You know, I never thought after having children that the most used word in my vocabulary would be don't. <laughs> don't. Seriously. It's over and over again. No, don't do that. Don't. Please don't. Don't. Stop. Don't open that. Don't close that. Don't lean on that. Don't pick up your brother. Don't throw your food on the floor. Don't. Why? Why is that the most used word in coming from me as the father, why is the, the word don't? Here's why. Because with kids, there are always unexpected things that are happening. And I've learned that with kids, you should really always expect the unexpected. Amen? From my parents in the room. Today, we're going to encounter an unexpected and beautiful truth from a biblical character named Mephibosheth, whose story starts first in Second Samuel chapter 4. I'm going to read it to you again. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, before we go any further, we need to get a little context going uh, for the characters in our story uh, today because it's really important that we understand who it is that we're talking about, all right? The first, the first thing that we have is King Saul. He is the king of Israel. He is the current king. His son is Jonathan. And it's important to know that. We have Saul, and then we have Jonathan. And then we have got another character, and his name is Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son. So if you're following along, that would make Mephibosheth Saul's grandson. All right, so I'll make sure you're staying with me. This is Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. And then we're going to have David, and David is going to succeed Saul as king and become king after Saul is through. So these are our characters. Now, remember our text. Mephibosheth was five years old. Five years old. I want you to imagine. Five years old, you're just simply out playing in the courtyard, doing the things that royal kids do. You're just out there hanging out, having a fun day, doing some fun things, having a good time. And all of a sudden, the palace doors swing wide open and people just go into a pandemonium, screaming and hollering and yelling. And all you know is you're like, at five years old, what's going on? 
And they say, hey, your dad and your grandfather have been killed in a battle. Now, that's a bad way to start a day for a five-year-old, for anybody for that matter. But uh, uh, for, for a five-year-old, this it would it, it, be a horrible start to a day. But it gets worse. They're all in a panic because, you see, David was on his way to the palace to assume power. Now... That would have been a problem in this monarchy because any time in a monarchy that the family lines change, what happens to the old family? They become eradicated. All right? They kill them off. Why? Because you do not want a potential heir to the throne to still be alive. And so everybody's going bananas in the palace. Everybody's running around. They're going to get killed, including Mephibosheth. Why? Because his dad had been killed. His grandfather had been killed, which would have put him next in line. Therefore, he would have been number one to go, right? And so Mephibosheth's there, he's five years old, thinking, my grandpa's dead, my dad's dead, they're both dead, and now David's coming. Now understand the context for this five-year-old kid. David, if you remember, was iconic. Chronologically speaking, uh, when this occurred in Scripture, David at this time had already killed Goliath. In fact, David had many adventures in what, as one of Saul's top generals and had gone out and slain many of Philistines for himself. In fact, there was a scripture in the Old Testament where people sang a song and they said, Saul, he's killed his thousands, but David, whoo, his tens of thousands. So David was iconic. And you have to remember David and Jonathan also were really good friends. Therefore, it's almost as if David could have been like this, like this hero to Mephibosheth. In modern day times, you could imagine that Mephibosheth would have David as a screensaver on his iPhone. They would just look at it like, that's my guy. That's my hero. Maybe he had a poster hanging up in his room of David or he had a David the Warrior t-shirt. He was iconic. And David, because of his relationship with Jonathan, he could have even been like a family friend to Mephibosheth. I mean, he was almost like an honorary uncle. Torn and Blaine, they call me Uncle Bryce, but there's no blood. There's no, we're not related. Me and Tomas are not brothers, all right? Our hairs start stand up a little bit, but you know, we're not related, Okay. <laughs> But they'll run up to me and they'll, Uncle Bryce, Uncle Bryce, you know, but I'm their honorary uncle, all right? I'm a family friend. I'm iconic to them. Not really. <laughs> At least I'd like to think so. So Mephibosheth is understanding. He's like, my dad is dead, killed in battle. My, my grandfather's dead. And now David, David's coming. But you know what? It's going to be okay because, because it's David. And, there, and David is a friend. 
And, and David knows he knew my dad and they were really good friends. So it's going to be okay. But the people were like, no, 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 no. He's going to kill you. It's going to be okay because it's David. No, no, no. He wants to kill you. And he's like, what do you mean? I don't understand. You got to remember, this is a lot for a five-year-old kid to take in. For anybody. And all of a sudden, they're in this panic. And everybody is going around, running around, trying to flee as fast as they can. And in this panic, the nurse picks him up and she begins to run. And as they continue in verse 4, the Bible says that she drops him and he breaks both legs and becomes crippled. Five years old. They pick him back up. They don't have time to run him to the hospital. They don't have time to set up a splint. They don't have time to do anything. They just run with him out to a place called Lodibar. His dad passes. His grandpa passes. David, who he thought might be a friend, is now going to try to come and kill him. And both of his legs get broke. And they just pick him up and whisk him away. At five years old, his whole world Flips upside down. Have you ever had a Mephibosheth moment before? Have you ever had an experience, a Mephibosheth experience? where you're sitting there and everything in life is just fine. Everything at the moment is just fine. You're sitting there, you're hanging out in the palace, everything's good, and then all of a sudden something unexpected happens. A doctor's report you didn't expect to get. One day you felt healthy. The next day you feel like you've been turned on in. Maybe it's that someone who you thought you could trust, they violated that trust. Some of you thought you had a friend when in actuality you had a foe. Maybe it's a relationship that you thought would work out, but all of a sudden things are now rockier than ever. And there you are right in the middle of a moment that wasn't expected. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Life. And in that emotion, in that moment, you begin to understand and you begin to feel what it was like for this young boy. And for Mephibosheth, years go by and nothing happens. Years go by and he doesn't get help. Years go by and he doesn't get healed. He's there, just broken. But one day the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, one day the Bible says, King David, he says, he says, is there anyone left in the household of Saul to whom I can show kindness to? For Jonathan's sake. Now, based off of what we know about the killing off of a monarchy, that's a weird statement, right? It's kind of interesting unless you understand the context. 
You have to remember Jonathan and David were, Jonathan and David were actually really good friends. At one point in scripture, David, if you remember, had been anointed by the prophet Samuel and Jonathan was very aware of this. And the anointing was that David would be the king of Israel and Jonathan believed it. Therefore, he talked to David in 1 Samuel 20 and he said, listen, when you become king, I know without a shadow of doubt you will become king. You've been anointed to become king. But when when you become king, would you show kindness to me and to my family? Because remember, it wouldn't be a good thing for Jonathan if the royal line changed. It wouldn't be a very good thing if the royal line had changed. And so he says, would you show kindness to me and my family? And what did David say? As surely as the Lord lives, I will show kindness to you and to your family. Now he made this provident, he pro promised, he made this covenant with Jonathan that he would do this. And the Bible records it in 2 Samuel 9 that one day, I don't know why, I don't know what spurred up in David's mind. I don't know what he was doing. But one day, maybe it's that they were out doing something that he and Jonathan used to love to do together. And for whatever reason, it brings it to mind for David, this promise, this covenant that he had made with his friend, his love for his dear friend whom he had lost. And he says, is there anyone left of the household of Saul that I could show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Is there anybody that's left? The Bible says there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so they called for this guy and they asked him the question. They said, hey, is there anyone left? And Ziba replies to the king. He says this, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. It's almost like he was saying, uh, yeah, well, yeah, there's still one left. There's still one son of Jonathan, but he's not going to be of much use to you. Uh, he's crippled in his feet. You probably don't want him. Now, I, I, I read that and I wonder, why would he do this? Why would he highlight this disability from this young man? Why? Because you see, in this day and age and in this culture at this time, to be broken in your legs, do you understand? There's no handicap ramps at this point in time. There's no rails to hold on. There's no wheelchairs for anybody that's crippled. There's nothing for him. There's no place for him to work in the palace. This man can't go to battle to fight with this condition. And so this society would in many ways, they would just push him aside. And they would say he's worthless. You can't use him. He's good for nothing. He would be a burden to you. Now, in our world today, Brother Hogan, we would say that this is absolutely ridiculous because we know that any physical limitation placed upon you has no bearing on God's ability to work through you. In fact, I would say in many times through you in a greater way and in a greater sense, there would be a greater purpose and a greater work in your life. So this day and age, we understand something like this to be completely absurd. But in the context of 
this story, it's important to note how quickly Zeba highlighted. He just brushes him aside. Yeah, but you know, there, there is one son, but you don't want to mess with him. He'd be no of use to you. There is one son of Jonathan, and I love David. He says this. He says, well, where is he? And Ziba replies, well, he's out in Lodabar. At the house of Maker is where he is. And David says, let's go get him. Lodabar was a place, and this is what it meant, a place of no bread. A place of no bread. It's considered an arid, dry, a desolate place, a, 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 a place way, way out. Mephibosheth is pretty much put in hiding. He's out there in hiding. No, he didn't change his name or anything. He's probably, it's probably like a little witness protection program. He's way out in hiding. In, in, around here, we would say out in the boonies. Everybody know when we say that, that's way out. Hey, where'd you have to park your car? Out in the boonies. That means I walked really far <laughs> to get here. This is where he's at. You know why? Because he was under the understanding they wanted to kill him. And so they picked him up and they take him out to this place, this distant place, a place of no bread. In fact, First Chronicles chapter 8, it's important to note that in the genealogy of King Saul, Mephibosheth was not even his actual name. It wasn't his name that was given. His given name was Meribaal, which meant an opponent of Baal. First Chronicles 8, read the genealogy. And if you remember, Baal was an Old Testament uh, false god. And so it's as if his father, Jonathan, had named his son Meribaal, saying, you are of royal lineage. You are an opponent of false gods. You are royal, and you are my son, Meribaal. But his name got changed to Mephibosheth, which means son of shame or shameful thing. Could you imagine... Five years old, you lose your dad. At five years old, you lose your grandfather. Your legs become broken. Those whom you thought you could trust, you can't. You are taken away from a palace and left out in some place called Lodabar. And your name is changed from an opponent of Baal to you son of shame. You talk about the unexpected happening in your life. And so Mephibosheth has lived many years out in Lodabar, not exactly sure how many years we do. The Bible isn't clear on that. We do know that at this time he's grown. At this point, he is grown up. He's not a little kid anymore. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And all of a sudden, there's a voice that rings out that says, hey, I'm here from the palace. David wants to see you. Now for Mephibosheth, I ask you, is this, a, is this a good day? Is he like, sweet, I've been waiting for this invitation. No, this is a horrible day. This is a day that he had been dreading for a long time. This was a knock at the door 
that he never wanted to receive. This is an invitation. This was something that was full of fear. It haunted him for years. This was the knock at the door that he didn't want. David has gone from somebody that Mephibosheth probably looked up to to someone that he probably hated. He went from being a hero, iconic, to I can't stand this man. You got to remember, why would he, why would he get to that point? Because he had sat out there for years, just thinking about everything that has transpired. No doubt that he's thinking, it's David, David's fault that I'm out here in this desolate place. It's David's fault that I'm a fugitive. It's David's fault that I'm crippled and my legs are broke. It's David and now he wants me dead. I knew it's been coming. They've been telling me it's been coming for years. And now the time is here. But this is where the story takes an unexpected turn. This is where the story, there's a twist. We see David's response quite different than what Mephibosheth had thought. 2 Samuel 9, verse 7 and 8. David says this, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And this is what Mephibosheth, how he responded. Verse 8, he bowed respectfully and exclaimed who is your servant that you should show kindness to a dead dog like me what a terrible thing to say about yourself I'm a dead dog but you know what it was all those years of running all those years of hiding, all those years of fear and terror of, and, and imagining things that, that he thought were going to come to pass, they had made Mephibosheth think of himself as worthless. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you kind of felt like you'd become worthless? Or maybe even you weren't worthy of something. Or maybe feel inadequate for the task that has been put before you. We talked this past Wednesday night in our Bible study about uh, 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 about worth and where we should put our worth at. A lot of people are putting their worth in the things that are so temporary. Thus, when those things end and they move on, we will undoubtedly have the feeling of being worthless. I'm good for nothing. I'm no good, I'm no help, I'm worthless. I can't be used. I'm a dead dog. Mephibosheth, he spent years and years in hiding, just thinking about things over and over, playing some things over in his mind, having his own ideas about David. You see, for Mephibosheth, in this moment, as he's receiving this blessing from King David, everything that he had believed, everything that he had known, everything that he had internalized about David had been completely wrong 
His thoughts, his ideas, his way of thinking about the king had been wrong. He had been confused trying to figure out what is going on. He had to have been bowing down, waiting for the knife, the sword to just cross over his neck. And as David stood there trying to bless him, here Mephibosheth is internalized all these thoughts thinking, uh, this is going to happen, I'm going to die at this moment. But it didn't happen. What happened? The unexpected happened. Everything that he had thought, everything that he had thought was going to happen, uh, uh, everything that he thought was going to take place, everything that he thought that he knew David stood for, just waiting there to die, everything, he was completely wrong. And in the same way, many of us find ourselves pushing ourselves spiritually out to a place called Lodabar, a desolate place spiritually where we begin to believe and internalize these things that we think about God. We're out there in our dry, arid places, our Lodabar places spiritually where we are thinking, oh, God is upset with me. Oh, God is not happy with me. God, all he wants to do is punish me because I haven't lived the way I was supposed to live. I haven't lived for God like I was supposed to. And you know what? God is mad at me and I know he's upset and I know he's just waiting there to drop a hammer on my head. You hear it in the response of people when you invite them to church. Hey, come on out to our church this Sunday. We invite you to come worship with us. You want me to come? As soon as I step in that building, that place is going to set on fire. There's lightning going to strike me. The roof is going to fall in. I have never seen that happen. Have you ever seen that happen? I have never once seen it happen, but you hear it in the response of people. You know why? Oh, if I showed up to church, I, I haven't li- lived like I'm supposed to. And I, I, know, I know God is just waiting. I know God is just waiting. Hear me this morning. We have these thoughts about God that we have internalized, and they are completely wrong. I would submit to you, yes, he's waiting on you, but he's not waiting with a hammer in his hand. He's waiting with grace and mercy that he wants to extend to you and to your family even more. He's waiting with arms of love stretched out to welcome you back home. Maybe it's that you've maybe it's that you've carried guilt for so long. So long of your life you've carried guilt. Maybe it was for something that wasn't even your fault, but for some reason you carry this guilt and you think that God is upset and that God is angry with you. I, it could be anything. And what I'm here to tell you is that your ideas about God are just wrong. You see, in the same way that David had an unlikely and different outcome from Mephibosheth, God's desire for you is to bless you and to bring you a hope and a future hear me this morning it's a twist in the story all of a sudden for Mephibosheth it's the unexpected now it's important to know then at this point David says to Ziba he says Ziba come here he gathers him over and he says hey I'm going to give Mephibosheth your master's grandson all of this land think about this 
He gives Mephibosheth all of King Saul's land. We're not talking about like a little shed like over in the, the back 40. We're not talking about like a little garden over here in the corner. Like you could just have, you could have this little piece of property. No, 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 no. He gives him all of his grandfather's land. Therefore, he gets the vast amount of property. Then David says to Ziba, oh, you and your household, Ziba, he said, all 35 of you and your servants, you're going to actually now serve Mephibosheth. And so now they all have to serve Mephibosheth. And then I love this in verse 11, the Bible says, and Mephibosheth ate regularly at the king's table like one of the king's own sons. How about that? for a twist in the story. How about that? How about that unexpected thing happening? This kid from five years old having all this stuff happen to him, all these terrible things, all of these years, all of a sudden gets flipped on its end and like this beautiful story of restoration and David bringing him to a place of honor and to a place of power. You know why we love this story? Because we love the true underdog story. We love the ending of this story. We love stories of restoration. We love stories where somebody who really did didn't deserve that they had gotten a hard deal in life and all of a sudden they end up being restored and almost vindicated and we're like yes and we're high-fiving everybody saying I love this story we love to see it in life when people who didn't have a chance people who had lived a hard life finally things turned over Finally, things started happening. And we love seeing things like when somebody who never got the chance, but when the opportunity came, they became a success story. We love those types of stories. And we step back and we celebrate with them and we celebrate with with another. And we're like, man, did you see what happened in that person's life? Did you see what took place? That was so awesome and amazing and all of that. And we love this, right? We love those stories. And we cheer them on because we love to see the underdog rise to the top. We love these stories of mercy and we love these stories of redemption. You want to know why? Because these types of stories, this story of Mephibosheth and this little boy who had this terrible beginning yet ends up with this beautiful ending, that type of a story is etched in the very DNA of our own souls. You know why? Because the story of Mephibosheth is really the story of you and I. I came to preach to you today. You and I are Mephibosheth. This story is an allegory of what Christ has done for you and what he's done for me. Are you thankful to know this morning that we have a Savior that has turned our hope, that has turned our life into a hope, and now we have a sure destination? You are Mephibosheth. This is a story of me. This is, this is my story. Just like Mephibosheth, we are fallen and we are broken. Oh, perhaps you're not fallen physically. Perhaps you're in good health this morning. 
but every single one of us are fallen and broken spiritually. Romans tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I submit to you today in the same way that Mephibosheth had fallen and was broken, we too are fallen and we are broken. But the great thing about this story, the great thing was that Mephibosheth wasn't just left there alone. But you know what? The Bible says he was pursued by the king. I want to let you know today that we're pursued by the king. Not an earthly king that's going to come and give us land or some kind of property or wealth or material possessions, but we're pursued by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are pursued this morning by Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. He's after you. The Bible tells me in John 3, 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I got news for you. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to save you. He's not here to give you something unexpected. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but as the world, uh, he sent them here to save you. It's an unexpected twist to the story, and the same truth is true for us. You know, as Mephibosheth was pursued by the king, David, we have been pursued by the king of kings and the lord of lords i want to let you know that god is after your heart god is after your soul he is chasing after you we feel condemnation and we feel like god's upset with us and that god's angry with us i'm here to tell you he's inviting you into his love and his mercy and his grace he's not here to beat you over the head with his bible he's not here to beat you over the head with his hammer he's here to extend his love for you today he's pursuing you we're all fallen we're all broken as our music comes i'm fallen I'm broken. You know why? How? The Bible tells me I am. It's not my righteousness. It's his righteousness. We're fallen. We're broken. But we're pursued by the king. And then lastly, just like Mephibosheth. Hear me. The king's table covers our sin. table covers our sin anyone still have family dinners at the table anyone still have a table it's one of my favorite things we have dinner in our house as a family at the table on Tuesday nights we eat over at my in-laws house one of my favorite nights of the week and we all eat at the table we sit down with family sometimes friends different people and when Mephibosheth remember verse 11 the Bible says that he ate regularly at the king's table like one of the king's own sons when he sat at the table, it's important for us to know that when he sat there, his crippled, broken condition in his legs was covered by the king's table.
And when people looked over at Mephibosheth and saw him sitting there, they didn't see a broken young man. They saw someone who was of power, who was of position, who had been granted access by the king. And they saw someone who sat there like one of the king's own sons. I want to remind us all in the same way the sacrifice of our Jesus Christ on the cross and his blood that was shed for us it covers our spiritually broken condition and in that you and I are made whole and complete at the king's table because the sacrifice of Jesus it covers our sins it covers our broken condition you see you're made whole by the blood of Christ. I'm made whole by the blood of Christ. We're restored by the blood of Christ. We're made complete. Underneath the power of Jesus' sacrifice and forgiveness of our sins, we are made, hear me, like one of the king's own sons. You're a child of the king. You're a child of the king. Say it to yourself. I'm a child of the king. Would you stand with me this morning? You see, you may think that you are broken and useless. And the devil would remind you, hey, you're broken and you're useless. Over and over again, every day, you're broken and you're useless. God can't use you. Look at your life. Look at how messed up it is. Look at how crippled you are spiritually. Look at how broken you are spiritually. You are broken and you are useless. But I want you to hear the voice of God this morning that says, no, you are chosen and you are invited to the king's table to sit and eat as one of the king's own sons. Jesus said this in Luke, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom. Second Samuel 9:13 and Mephibosheth who was crippled in both feet lived in Jerusalem and he ate regularly he ate regularly he ate regularly at the king's table This is our story I submit you could just insert your name in that scripture you could just insert your name right there and just say, and you who are broken now eats regularly at the king's table. Insert your name. You, Gary, who were broken now eat regularly at the king's table. Because you see, we were fallen and we were broken, but we we're pursued by the king. And the king's table 
oh it covers our sin and even though we may think that we are broken and useless oh no God says that you are chosen and you are invited I don't know about you but that's something to rejoice about that's something to be thankful about that's something to take that with me and it's a promise that I have in the scripture that I am chosen and I am invited it's not what I should have expected it's the unexpected but that's the God that we serve today that's the power that is in the blood of Jesus Christ he wants to cover your sins he invites you you are chosen and you are invited thank you for listening to the landmark apostolic church podcast you can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the landmark family if you are ever in our area our doors are open on sundays at 10 a.m and wednesday at 7 p.m Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.